quicker than a ray of light. We're back at you with our new episode. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. This week, we will be diving into the queen of pop herself, Madonna, and her 1998 album, Ray of Light, uh, one of her most successful albums. And um, it's been, it's an interesting time, I think, to talk about Madonna. She's been finding her way into the news quite a bit lately, actually, because of her, unfortunately, she was in the hospital pretty recently with what it sounds like septic shock, but she is, um, appears to be on the bend. Her tour was postponed, but she's out and about. She, she actually made it to the Renaissance tour with her daughters. So it's, nice. it's good to know she is still kicking and, uh, just doing well. That's just what we like to see. And, um, with that, yeah, why not? That's, I think, a great time to celebrate something that she gave to us 25 years ago. But I think st- still resonates and holds up today, most importantly. I agree. It does uh, still resonate. It still lives up. I'm not the most knowledgeable when it comes to Madonna. Of course, I learn more and more about every artist as we break them down together. I'll just start off by saying this was a totally unexpected sound feeling just just a wild look into madonna that i wasn't expecting and the reason i feel like it still resonates to today minus some of her sometimes she goes back to her old ways every once in a while but this really speaks as a very adult album um from an adult madonna not to get too hard into it but it's definitely a mature madonna that we see here and i think that's one of the reasons why it really still resonates this is uh this isn't baby Madonna. No, and uh, I, I think it was quite a shock if we're going to go back to the 90s um, to that time. It seems like this was a shock for a lot of people because it's like the album was even promoted as being a side of Madonna no one has seen before. And people thought, well, what haven't we seen by this point? Of course. I mean, because <laughs> by this point, she'd been around for 15 years at this point it's like we we've seen it all what else can she do but you know life events can certainly change people and that was what happened in 1996 madonna became a mom for the first time material girl to material mom as they called it obviously this changed her but of course when you're madonna you're not just gonna stay at home all day with your kid you're gonna do something because you're a restless creative spirit when you're madonna and that was what happened. She naturally, with a new baby, but she just got back to work and um, was just feeling inspired and seeing things in a different way. Being a mother now, it just opened up this new dimension. And um, she reached out to some old collaborators very early in the process. And uh, not all of their work ended up really making the album. Uh, Babyface, they were uh, did not make it, which definitely... Uh, maybe not taken well by everybody, but definitely shows she was definitely wanting to do something very different and really something not really commercially proven, frankly. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, there's sounds on this album as far as the musicality that resonate with 90s sounds and 90s compositions. But you're right. I don't think this had been proven in, in 100%, especially not by Madonna. No, no. And um, early on, it seemed like she was going in a more, I guess, traditional what would be expected of her. But then she um, connected with this guy, William Orbit, who was a big figure in the UK underground rave scene. And um, he previously remixed Justify My Love, but 
she just loved his sound and thought it was something different. And she thought like he would be the right producer for these new songs she was working on, even if they were written with um, proven pop hit makers like her longtime collaborator, Patrick Leonard and Rick Knowles, who'd worked with Stevie Nicks and Belinda Carlisle. She really knew this guy was going to be it. And uh, it didn't actually get off to that great of a start because they had such different working styles and, um, he just wasn't as organized as she wanted him to be at first, actually. Like, she was prepared to, like, go in a different direction, but they ended up clicking, and she knew, like, we're gonna do it. And I don't think Patrick Leonard was too thrilled about being dumped as producer in favor of William Orbit, but... In hindsight, though, he couldn't... I, I shouldn't say he couldn't. I don't... This album would have been nowhere near the same if no. she stuck in her normal way. She knew that. Yeah. And, uh... She just, she knew it was time for a change because, um, well, Madonna was still certainly a hit maker in the 90s. Like, she never stopped charting high, but she did lose some ground after her peak, which does happen. But I think she turned, she just turned a lot of people away with stuff like the Erotica album and the sex book. And a lot of people said, she's gone too far. Uh, we're done with this, but... She decided to present this new image to the world, and it also came after she did the movie version of the musical Evita, which actually was really well-received for her, easily her most well-received film role. But interestingly, with that, we got a new Madonna voice because she had to take voice lessons for that film because she was doing a very different style of music. She was doing Andrew Lloyd Webber songs. Of course she got to do it differently, but... Now we're working with this new voice, new perspective. And um, yeah, like the question is, what are we going to get? How are people going to respond to it? Yeah, I mean, just singing the Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber songs and knowing how much that entails and knowing that she has to go in and really take voice lessons or or lessons in in her attempt at well, it was a beautiful victory but her attempt going in to do a vita but on this album you can hear that change yeah in fact and i'll probably say it a bunch as we go through but there's snippets and pieces of madonna that i hear in this that i immediately like oh let me go back and listen to that track and i want to see where it is and it's wild to hear early Madonna against these tracks. It's insane. Now I'll leave, I'll leave some other nuggets in that thought for later, but it really is a different Madonna. My question for you is because it's a very blurry time as far, <laughs> not as far as my memory goes, but like trying to remember where Madonna was in the, the popular eye when this was coming out, did the, majority of america realize or know or had been shown her new interest in the kabbalah her spirituality had they seen that yet or did that i i know we saw it ultimately i mean she wrote the the kids book and all that i know that was way after but did america know madonna as this person yet coming no. into this album so it, there's another unexpected yeah. You know, you're not expecting any of that from Madonna. No, we got this new spiritual Earth Mother side to Madonna that nobody would have ever expected from her after. I mean, this was the same woman who, again, did the sex book. People were not predicting 
she was going to do this, but it was what ended up happening. And with it, it did come this new electronica sound that was cutting edge for the late 90s, and particularly in America. And uh, yeah, they didn't, this was really unexpected. I think this took a lot of people by surprise, but it also gained her a lot of new admirers, really. I mean, this was easily her most critically acclaimed album ever, and a lot of people who never would have dared listen to Madonna before this were all of a sudden on board because of this new reinvention. They felt like we could actually take her seriously. Yeah, you put it perfectly right there. She she achieved, or is 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 looking to achieve with this album the the fact that people are going to take her seriously. And I think that's huge to realize. I'm so glad you said it going into this album because there's a lot riding on this. You know, we we haven't even started to talk about the musical differences. We we've just dipped our toes in the water, so to speak, uh, inside of our conversation right now. And there is a lot riding. This is a very very. I feel like it could have went wrong. And in fact, I'll use this time to give you and everybody else uh, listening a little insight into me the first time i so you asked me at the end of the last podcast if i knew this album and i said sparsely and sparsely was a huge understatement that i found out because even looking at the track list ray of light was the only one i knew automatically sitting and listening to this album for the first time i was super underwhelmed but in the fact of i i just wasn't expecting it you know so I'm get you know I'm mentally prepared for super upbeat, super in your face, yeah. material girl Vogue, you know the Madonna that I knew or, or that I thought I knew, and and then I get this, and the first time I listened to it, I was like, this is is this isn't a Madonna. Then I then I got to read about where she was, a new mother, and you know spiritually starting down the path of of spiritual enlightenment, and also as an artist. And it's wild, man, because the second listen to this album took a whole new light. Um, but the first one was not there for me. And and the reason I t- took this time to say that is because I feel like this album could have went the wrong way. And yeah. after I listened to it the first time and went and read the critical reception on it, I was blown away by what people were saying. I was like, I can't be the only person who thinks this is a terrible album. Uh, and then I and then I went to my second listen. And I guess we'll see from there. Uh, I was just yeah. really underwhelmed. It just wasn't what I was expecting. It's not. Know? And I don't, I mean, did she win back some old fans with this? Very possibly. But I don't know if everybody who loved her 80s hits necessarily gravitated to this. But as I said, it gained a lot of new followers that would have never listened to her before. So there's a bit of a trade-off there that I think um, we have to acknowledge. But yeah, this is, I mean, a lot of the songs on this album would qualify as ballads. Yeah. I mean, and they're heavy songs. There's a lot of, I say electronica, that's a part of this, but that doesn't just make this a dance album. I think people might assume this is going to be a dance album just based on the title track, which is a dance floor banger, but really... It's not all of that. That's the ultimate dance song here. There's a lot of really moody, mid-tempo songs. There are just a lot of different, really subtle elements, too. You really have to listen to this more than once to pick up on all the little sonic details and inspirations this album's coming from. It's just 
I mean, I don't think it's necessarily something that grabs you at first listen. There were always certain songs on this album that I've loved from the minute I heard them, but others, no, not at all. Like, and I first heard, so I first heard the whole album when I was like 14. And before that, I knew the singles because, well, I knew the song, Ray of Light. That's actually the first Madonna song I ever knew. (laughs) Um, Because it was on a CD that my dad had. And uh, um, I became more of a fan of hers once I learned her 80s songs. That was when I really became obsessed with her. And that really hasn't changed too much. But um, one year as a birthday present from like one of my aunts, I got her. uh, It was a DVD of the videos from 93 to 99. And the videos for all of the singles on this album were included. So I knew all of those songs going in. But actually hearing the whole album we didn't have immediate streaming so i bought the five dollar cd at best buy and heard the whole thing and i liked a lot of it but parts of it definitely went over my head and i also think even when i was i think the visuals helped me um with this album i definitely am going to be commenting on some of these videos because there's some wild stuff here with that too and that's um Important because, yeah, once again, she was doing very new looks like we have videos with her having like jet black hair, not the traditional Madonna blonde. It is, again, a new look. And that's why they call her Queen of Reinvention. It's I mean, when I, I remember hearing about the Kabbalah interest and and, and all of this, and I that was the first picture that I remember of Madonna going into this like into this realm i you know i I wasn't listening to the album in 98 but what you saw on tv i i remember that jet black hair madonna as being one of the first things i saw in this i'll use the word loosely this this era or not even loosely this era of madonna and it was like whoa what the heck you know i paid it no mind back then Um, you just saw oh she looks different (laughs) yeah exactly but but you can i mean queen of reinvention is an understatement yeah because all these years later whenever she makes an appearance people always have to talk about how she looks that's always gonna be well i mean she was a sex symbol for so many years yeah you know but it's still today because she was one of the most talked about people at the grammys just for her appearance (laughs) yeah heard that i mean people didn't like it but they were still talking that was for sure yeah i think that's something she'll never be able to get away from no Right or wrong, she's right or wrong. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Yeah, but um, that's an entirely different discussion. (laughs) Uh, we're not here to discuss plastic surgery, um, and facelifts and all that, so or or just the reinvention. Pin that for a bar, uh, a bar conversation because that's a good conversation to have. I'd like to have that conversation, me and you, yeah, definitely, but um. Anyway, yeah, as we've said, this album was really critically acclaimed. And in fact, Madonna was one of the top nominees at the Grammys that year. She was nominated for six awards and won four of them. And yeah. um, she this was even nominated for Album of the Year, but it did lose to the miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Expectedly, admittedly, that was a, a really big release that had a lot going into it as well. I mean, in the case of a someone like Madonna, who critics very early on said she's going to be over in six months, when she first started, 
that was a huge achievement. She even said at the awards show, I had to wait 16 years for this and it was worth it. That's that's good for her. Do they have, I, I looked and I didn't really find anything. Do they, did they have words about other, each other's work, uh, Madonna and Lauren Hill? Did they, I haven't there... seen anything. I'd be curious if they did. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Definitely. And interestingly, yeah, there was just, but the thing is, the people did respond positively to this album. This was her most successful album since Like a Prayer. And um, it's now at this point sold over 16 million copies worldwide, over 4 million in the U.S. In fact, um, at the time when it first debuted, it sold 371,000 copies first week in the U.S. At the time, that was the highest debut for a female artist only to be broken bumps later again by Lauren Hill. But interestingly, it wasn't enough to top the charts. She couldn't overtake the Titanic soundtrack. Oh, heard that. I, you know, um, debut aside, I have to ask you, do you think those numbers come from this just being a very, I'll, I'll go before that and say that in my opinion, her albums can be very polarizing and very um, drama worthy. And she's always reveled in that, in my opinion, you know, that yes. was the Madonna that we knew. Do you think that the later numbers for this really came because, and again, I'm putting my opinion on this question, but this is a very approachable album. Do you think those later numbers came from the approachability of this album? Oh, definitely. I mean, this was, I mean, as we talk about how daring it is in some ways, there are definitely radio-friendly ballads here. It wasn't easier to approach Madonna. She was doing something different. Still, people were talking, but she wasn't really pushing buttons like she was before. I mean, compare this to, up to this point, her most polarizing album was Erotica. Yeah. And that sold 6 million worldwide, which is not terrible by any means, but... It was her lowest selling album up to that point. This sold almost triple as much. Yeah, I mean, you could play this for your grandma. Yeah, you, know? you could. I, I, just, just using, you know, that example. But I remember, and I was young, but I remember the negative push away from Erotica. You know, like there was what it was supposed to be in the coffee table book and that whole thing and that's who she was being then but i remember there was a push away from it so i'm not surprised to see the smaller numbers for erotica because it was almost like something you don't want to get caught with um you know it was very it was super racy that's yeah. a that's an understatement of the year <laughs> I mean, but th this one not so much yeah and really honestly the whole erotica era i think so much of it I think the sex book really overtook the conversation and the album's actually not, it definitely has its moments. It's definitely not as sexual as you might think it is by the title, actually. Heard. I don't think, but, but I think the conversation was really dominated by, again, what we were seeing on MTV and in bookstores and, of course, in the movie theaters with the best but bad movie of all time, Body of Evidence. Heard that whether that was her choice or the machine's choice that's what we were fed as madonna so again another reason why this is so risky yeah and she was trying to be more approachable in the 
days after erotica. I mean, bedtime stories was much calmer. The big hit off of that was Take a Bow with Babyface Productions. She even put out a CD of her best ballads with some new songs to show like, hey, I'm more approachable. But it was a bit more... I mean, that was safer, admittedly. This, I think, had enough of the cutting edge to it that the more indie audience could gravitate to this as well. I, I agree with you. Erotica was after Dick Tracy stuff, right? Yes. Okay. That gotcha. was after True For Their, Blonde Ambition, all of Vogue, all of that. And uh, I mean, that was a huge peak. And uh, a come down was probably inevitable, but... It was people were very quick to pounce on her and say like she's over and it's she's gone too far. We're done with her. But I think with this, I think we just had to learn. Don't you can't count Madonna out because she was almost forty when she released this album and again became one of the top pop stars of the moment and in the teen pop era. It was sort of weird. I remember it. <laughs> like, yeah. It was sort of weird. Um, you know, just seeing an older Madonna mixed up inside of all these these young pop stars, yeah. it was it was pretty weird and pretty wild. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I was a rapper, but I have to imagine it must have been pretty wild to hear, because the success continued after this. Like, of course, but I have to imagine it is kind of wild to think Madonna was sharing radio airtime with NSYNC. Yeah, but it sounds yeah. like she was, but. That was how it was, I guess, at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, even as a young guy who didn't know, you know, her whole catalog, Material Girl to Breathless Mahoney to the coffee table book that I won't say scarred me as a young kid, but I'll never forget seeing that book for the first time, uh, you know, in my in my my younger teenage years and then you know to to this it's it's a wild a wild wild uh romp there a wild yeah a wild career but it, it, it was it's just so wild to see her sitting in that group like you said with nsync and nsync and and all the other girls and just watching it the whole way it was pretty wild in hindsight even more so but yeah in hindsight even more so but She's just somebody who will never, ever go away, whether you want her to or not. She doesn't. She's pretty unstoppable, <laughs> old Madonna. So, and I'm grateful for it. And uh, with that all being said, I'm ready to dive on into Ray of Light. Let's get at it. Yeah. All right. So the album begins with a song called Drowned World slash Substitute for Love. Only Substitute for Love is used in the song. Drowned World, I think, is more of a to discuss the musical element of it, because this song actually has a lot of um, ambient music elements to it, uh, which is pretty different. And um, we very quickly like we hear this ambient sound. We hear like a sample of this song called Why I Follow the Tigers, which I learned it was called, and a guy saying, you see, and song begins with new Madonna voice singing, I traded fame for love without a second thought. And it's like, oh, whoa there. Okay, this is um, not what I was expecting here. Because if anything, Madonna was somebody who was upfront about being like, I like my fame. I like getting attention. That had been clear to everybody. So for her to say that, it's like, okay, you definitely actually have changed. And it's in this 
really neat introspective song because she knows that fame is a, as she said, it's a substitute for love, but it's not real. And she knows that what she has now, being a mother, that is real. And she's learning this difference. But it's not just ambient. We also have a major electric guitar riff. And um, I've always adored this song. I first heard it when I was 10, but I always thought, like, it just sounded really cool, first of all. And, I mean, I think it's... The insight here is incredible. I think this is genuinely a strong singer-songwriter track. And uh, I think that's saying something, because that, this isn't the artist you'd expect that from, but I think this is genuinely that, and I think it's a perfect album opener. It really sets the tone for what we're about to do in a really trippy and rocking way. It does. It does. It's a great album opener. Um, the intro is... Like I said, the first time I listened to it, it it's way slower than I, you would, I expected. Um, but for this album, it really is a great slow intro. I, lo I love everything you said, and I'm right there with you as far as this beautiful look into Madonna that we weren't necessarily sure if that was the case, or I wasn't, because you're right. She loved the... We thought she loved the spotlight, the limelight, the whole kit and caboodle that's wrapped up with being a, a pop star especially in her example um but you know it's this drowned world and i'm glad you said the ambient music that's cut by this guitar because for me and I, i'll already give some flowers here because this i really only go out on these wild tangents when i'm very inspired by by what's going on so looking into this musically i have to think that the guitar is her and this ambient music that we're hearing is this drowned world, this very uh, not sharp composition that's going on in the background throughout this whole entire thing. And we'll see this as a goodbye to this drowned world as we go through and we'll see the crispness of the musicality really shine. So I think you had said earlier in the podcast, you know, you listen to this over and over and over again. You really pick up some very, very finite uh, examples and finite inspirations inside of the music. And I think this is one of them. I'd like to think that this was a conscious decision on a very rounded composition as uh, as opposed to sharp as a, as opposed to very sharp uh composition this is more rounded and that's that drowned feeling i love this as an intro track really cool yes most definitely and uh i mean i think the drowned world thing was something she took the heart she even named the tour after it wow. <laughs> yeah she did um this actually this was a single in some countries it made it to number 10 in the uk and um, there is a video which is pretty neat, but it's kind of definitely influenced by um, Princess Di being chased by the paparazzi. But it's a pretty neat video that ends with her holding her daughter, Lourdes, which I think is nice. So That's, that's awesome. I must say, I can't believe I left it out. Her voice blew me away already in the first track compared to what I had heard from Madonna. Um, and I wonder, it was a, a thought I had, during my listenings but i wonder if everybody had gotten used to it because 
of how beautiful Don't Cry For Me Argentina was. And even though that was like a, you know, part of the musical, I feel like that was everywhere. So you yeah, could see her chops. it was a radio chops. hit. It was. Yeah, you could see her chops. So I wonder if it was as jarring back then. But for me, I have to say coming in, I was I was blown away by her vocals already. I mean, yep, but we're going to get a lot more of them, folks. We're just getting started here. Uh, we're now on the track number two, which is Swim, which... um. This is a song I would say it's described as being about the healing power of water. And uh, this one's kind of loaded. It does mention some societal ills like children killing children while the students rape their teachers, which um, I was kind of shocked to hear that one against this kind of, again, serene song. But she's saying we need to wash away our sin and swim to the ocean floor. And again, it has this ambient alt rock sound and uh, it's kind of shocking to hear her sing it in this new, again, new voice, not this edgy rock thing that you might think, like, you would think these lyrics would come from, like, an Alanis Morissette-type voice. Not this, but I don't know. It's really interesting. I, I like this one. Not as much as I like the first song, but I do think this is a pretty, this is a really neat song, too, I think, and, um, I just think the sound, I really do think Orbit in his own way created this water atmosphere through sound. And that's incredible that he did that. Bit of trivia, this song was recorded on the day that Gianni Versace was murdered. <laughs> and um, I think there's some people have noted like there's a bit of a parallel here because she really was taking it to heart. Like, hey, Versace's gone. We really do need to reconsider what's going on. That's a, that's a wild one. That is definitely a trivia piece. Yeah, there is some wild lyrics in here that that take you back, you like you touched on. But this is, like you said, a really cool number two song here. There's a little bit for me. There's a little bit of the same tone leaking through on this intro, but we get this rock guitar again right away. And here, this rock guitar is actually over these building electronic sounds. Uh, at 48 seconds, when the bass drops on this, I love the use. You said this water soundscape, but I really love the use of the bass he did here. For anybody who who isn't listening along or or knows the track. It's the bass is really reminiscent of the old Sopranos uh, intro. Woke up this morning. It's that same. It's that same bass effect, but here it really lends itself to this underwater effect. Uh, the way that bass drips in and and out. A really, really nice pace for a song, even a down tempo song that is five minutes. There's not wasted time in this. I mean, this this album really averages five minutes almost the yep. whole way through. But this one here uh, was our first dip into it all the way. And I, I feel like it was it was well done. This is a beautiful track, too. Agreed. But uh, it, it can't all be moody, slow songs. We do have to pick up the pace a little bit. And we're going to do that with our next song, which is the title track, which has already been mentioned. It actually is based on the 70s song by the folk duo Curtis Muldoon called Sephirin and Madonna got set a version done by Christine Leach, who was the niece of one of the guys in the duo. I'm not remembering which one at the moment, but um, William Orbit produced it, and Madonna liked it, but she did decide, she decided, well, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to change the lyrics to, you know, fit what I'm going to do. And uh, it was originally over 10 minutes long, but uh, it ended up 
it did get cut down to a more manageable five minutes and 20 seconds. And uh, this is a song where we definitely hear her new vocal range. William Orbit actually said she sang it in a semitone higher than she was comfortable with. And um, you can hear it, but this is that kind of, this is the classic Madonna dance track of the album. It's The lyrics are very different than you would have gotten before. This is this new enlightened talk of Zephyr in the sky at night, quicker than a ray of light, she's flying. I mean, again, this is spiritual. I think you get that from the title, and that's what we're hearing, this interest in spirituality. And again, just this 70s folk influence, I don't think even would have been expected. And um, interestingly, uh, actually, no, I don't want to say that yet. Um, But yeah, I think, again, it's kind of, but this still is a floor filler, too. And I think that's proof of Madonna doing what she does best. Because, I mean, when it comes to who has a lot of great dances, this is the one. So, and this is another one of them. Here we go again, starting with Beautiful Guitar, which is is always neat, especially the way this album is uh, getting us to fall into its its rhythm. But this one here, man. You, you have those light guitar chords and you let this club sound come in. And then this song just screams Madonna. I mean, Madonna is just everything about the song just screams Madonna for me. Um, finding out that she sang this a half register above what she was comfortable with is wild because I have a note here that I put nitpick next to. But for me, there is a this is a very fine line for me as a madonna listener because i know who madonna is coming into this sound wise and for me maybe it's a hot tea take i feel like a rougher madonna vocal from a little bit backer a little bit backer a little bit prior in the day would have aided this just a tad and now this is nitpicking but those angelic vocals for me are almost too clean for this club composition, they do a really cool juxtaposition in their dance here, but it's just almost too clean. That's nitpicking, man. The production and composition on this is take out all the expletives, mind blowing with a <laughs> bunch of exclamation marks. This is a pure ecstasy song, just in the happiness and just the clubness of it. It's just a let yourself go out on the dance floor. You, I could listen, I have listened to this about seven to ten times this week every single time i find a new sound that is not mashed together in this this composition has so many pieces but it's not all jumbled mess there is some beautifully beautifully produced sounds throughout this and i keep finding new ones it's a great great track yes it is and uh so speaking of happiness in the song um there was one person when they first heard the song on the radio who wasn't happy with it. And that was Dave Curtis of Curtis Muldoon. He thought, like, what, she's doing my song. I don't like that. But he changed his tune when he ended up getting 15% of the royalties for the song. And that ended up being a very nice payout, I'm sure, because this song was a huge hit. Number five in the U.S., number two in the U.K. Uh, The video was also really well-received. It was kind of like this day-in-the-life montage that ends in a club. It was a... It's a pretty neat thing. I don't think it's the best video from this album. We're not there yet, folks. You're going to have to wait for that. But it was definitely a cool thing that a lot of people really enjoyed. And uh, it's always going to be special to me because it's my first Madonna song I ever knew. 
There you go. Yeah. There you go. So she didn't have them on there as writing. Um, no, they are on there as writers. I knew they were. I'm saying, but when when it hit, who, who was pissed off? I'm missing that right there. Uh, well, were they pissed because they weren't getting paid? They just had writing credits on it, or no? I think he he didn't. He was pissed just hearing it. He didn't know he had a writing credit. I oh, was under the impression. Okay. Wow. Okay, that makes but sense. That makes once sense. he found out he did, he wasn't so angry. And again, I'm sure he got a very nice payday from it after the success of this song. Yeah, I, it seems to me, and and even just so in this album that she is very um conscious of inspirations and if she wants to use stuff she's very conscious of making uh, either amends or you know rightful uh payment or or uh, it's it's weird to, to hear somebody getting pissed not knowing they didn't have credits she seems to be very on top of that i mean the guy had been kind of like forgotten though before this. <laughs> think about <laughs> it like yeah People, the song wasn't a hit back in the day. It was a really obscure thing. So I can understand, like, he wasn't expecting a payday at that point, I'll, is the impression I'm on. Oh, okay. That makes sense, too. But he ended up getting one, and I'm very happy for him. Good for him. Good for everybody involved with creating a fucking banger. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Because, but uh, speaking of collaborators, we've got a pretty neat one, I think, on our next song. Um, Somebody from the Prince camp co-wrote track number four, Candy Perfume Girl, co-written with Susanna Melvoin, who, um, twin sister of Wendy, of Wendy and Lisa, and yep. one at one point engaged to Prince. So she's kind of a big deal in the Prince story. And I love seeing intersections between Prince and Madonna because there's quite a few of them. And, uh, of course, two of my very all-time favorite artists who were both on Warner Brothers in the 80s. So there's a lot of interception that i love to see but um Susanna, i don't know the exact breakdown of who wrote who wrote what of the song but Susanna stated that she kind of wrote this song after um her brother jonathan died from a heroin overdose in the mid 90s and uh she said the song was inspired by the allure of drug addiction were her words but really it's not good and this from what I'm hearing, it seems to be about a very just codependent and toxic relationship. And I mean, I can see it being about drugs with these um words, because like literally, what's a candy perfume girl? Literally, it totally makes sense that we're um singing about drugs here. But uh, yeah, this one actually, it's been noted, has elements of grunge music, which <laughs> mind blowing, because I can't help but think of Weird Al singing. No, we don't sound like Madonna. Of course not. We're Nirvana. <laughs> he was the antithesis of grunge. And yet we have elements of that sound here, along with some of that trip hop ambient stuff that we are used to at this point. Um, I think this is a cool song. I will say that. But uh, Hot Tea Take, I think this is the gun to the head song for me, because while it's a very cool song, it is a bit oddly placed on the album and it doesn't really fit with the spirituality that we're hearing on the other songs, certainly. And uh, again, I appreciate its sound. It's not one I skip when I listen to the album, but it's just kind of always been there for me. I don't know. For some reason, she included it on the Drowned World Tour. I'm thinking of all the songs you could have done. I don't know 
why we picked Candy Perfume Girl other than for her to play the guitar. But other than that, what? It's a, it's a cool song, but it's not a Madonna classic. Definitely not a classic. Um, you've touched two of them, but I think add on the fact that it's right behind Ray of Light, and I'm not talking about Ray of Light as the banger we know it, but just as the musical composition it is, it, it tends to stagnate. Uh, towards the middle of Candy Perfume Girl for me as far as sonically uh, on the album, you know, just for this little blurb here. Um, I definitely see the grunge, you know, inside of it. For me, it had a, like a fat boy slim type of feeling for the beat, uh, and I enjoyed that. The amount of sound here is great, and the production is nice, but it just doesn't hit uh, because... For me, it just doesn't hit and it falters because it's behind Ray of Light on this album. I tried to find another spot on this album for it, but I don't think it has one. I think you touched on that quite nicely. It almost doesn't fit this album, which is weird because so far everything so, seems so seamless. Um, and it doesn't seem seamless musically. Like you don't, you're not like taken away from the album, but in hindsight and critically, it just, doesn't work out the best here i mean it's in between the dance portion of the album frankly it's like we have yeah. several dance songs in a row starting with ray of light except for this and so uh -huh. it does kind of stick out like a sore thumb and um yeah i just feel like they, they definitely could have found a better song actually there is a very nice b-side called has to be it was the b-side for the song ray of light that would have been a better fit for um, the album than this song. I think a lot of fans actually would agree with that. But uh, hey, what are you going to do? Instead, we got Candy Perfume Girl on every edition of this album. So <laughs> this could have been the Japanese bonus track or the B-side. That's all I'm saying. It, <laughs> in comparison to everything else here, it it is a bonus track. But you know what? As I said, uh, we're... We've got a lot more coming up here and uh, again, more dance songs because this is weirdly it positioned between the grunge song is in between. Yeah, dance floor fillers. But uh, this next one's a very different one. Um, This one is called Skin, our track five. It was originally called Flirtation Dance. And uh, this is the first of four songs here co-written with um Patrick Leonard who was a longtime collaborator, co-wrote many of her greatest 80s hits. We talked about them quite a bit on our Like a Prayer episode. If you want to go check that out, please do. And um, this song here, this is the most sensual song on the album. I mean, because we are... And, uh, I mean, it's interesting. On paper, these lyrics sound like erotica, like, kiss me, I'm dying, put your hand on my skin. But that's not what we're getting here. This is really about a tr desire for true intimacy. This is not about wild sex. Like we were getting, this is not, my name is Dita, I'll be your mistress tonight. This is very, very emotionally vulnerable. I mean, the line, why do all the things I say sound like the stupid things I've said before? That line always gets me because it's like, oh, I've been there before. And, like, it's just very relatable, but she's really... Bearing her soul here, 
and craving this desire. And uh, I think that's a big part of why the song works. But also musically, there's just so much cool stuff going on. I mean, we've got elements of Bollywood music and this distorted guitar and just all this really neat stuff going on here. I It's kind of hard to explain for me, but I think it men it comes together beautifully. And uh, I'm going to say this is my favorite non-single on the album. All right. Oh boy. <laughs> this is our first this is our first other side of the coin. That was unexpected, but uh th- this song, you know, it's the first to really open with these electronic sounds and I dig that. And immediately before knowing I- I'm this is first listen notes here. Uh before knowing what I was getting from her lyrics, I wrote automatically sounds like introspective Madonna from something like Promise to Try. So her voice really like lends itself um, to the way you can you can feel her through her voice is is what I'm trying to say. And I really got that um, on this track. For me, the beat is way too much for me. Uh, in, In my opinion, the beat is just way too overpowering in the song. And it seems like the production is starting to repeat these small ideas throughout their compositions that they, that they've they've stuck the landing on them so far. But for me, when I get to skin, it feel, feels like the production is starting to repeat small things. Um, I really love the Mar- Marrakesh market sounds incorporated in the background. This one's just a little bit too cluttered. I won't say that it's my like it's a terrible song or anything like that. No way, gun to the head. It's just not one of my favorites. I do like the way this one fades out. And if you guys have been listening to it for us for a while, it's not my favorite way to end a song. But I think this one finds a way to do it correctly and and leaves without lingering for too long. I will give it that. Um, but not my favorite one here. Yeah, I have to say the outro to this is pretty epic. Just the repeated, I'm not like this all the time. And put your hands on my skin. I really like how it builds to that point. Um, Personally, I can see why somebody would find it cluttered. But for me, it works very well. And uh, I've always enjoyed this song a lot. So, and uh, interestingly, here's the tea on this song. Susanna Melvoin actually claims to have written the lyrics for this, but says she didn't get credit. <laughs> but uh, oh, uh, who knows? We we weren't there, really. Who knows? I mean, she got credit on the other song, so. And again, I'll go back to my point. Madonna seems very, very conscious of making sure everybody gets their flowers, whether it's yeah. I'm not putting you on the album and I'll pay you or, you know, we see all these things. That's that's a tough. No, I to think Madonna, Madonna, definitely her history. If you look at her, the writing credits on it, I think she's very fair in yeah. how the publishing is done, because there are times when. I mean, Papa Don't Preach, for instance, she's just listed as providing additional lyrics. She could have just credited herself as a writer, even if she added one line. You can do that, but she didn't do that. And the songs she didn't write, you see, she didn't write them. I think that she tends to be very honest in that. So um, if there was a dispute over it, I'm really sorry to hear that. But um, I don't think it quite adds up with what we know, because Madonna gives her collaborators her flowers. They're flowers, yeah. I would yeah. say. Most so definitely. They're her flowers. She pays for them. Lord knows she can afford <laughs> it. 
But it, it's not all about money because according to our next song, track number six, nothing really matters. Uh, yeah, this is a song about how love is all we need. Going back to the Beatles here, that old plateau. And uh, this one, again, we started off immediately like, when I was very young, nothing really mattered to me. And, but, you know, everything's changed. Nothing really matters. Love is all we need. This song's direct lyrically. Perhaps you could even say maybe a bit too on the nose. Possibly. But I think it works. It doesn't bother me. I think she gets her point across very well. And um, we have a, we have like a nice little dance groove to it, but it's not as intense as what we got on the previous two dance songs that we've had so far. Um, Skin and Ray of Light. There's not as much going on, but I think that's actually really smart for this point in the album because I think in a way this serves as a palate cleanser because we're not going to be as intense. We're showing really this more you know, sedate thing, kind of. And uh, a part of me does wish this song was a bit more dy- musically dynamic because I love a big Madonna dance song, like even the ones before this. Who doesn't love Vogue? Come on. But and this is not Vogue, but I still, for this album and this point in it, I think it really works. And fortunately, now I'm going to talk about whether the remixes. There, um, this song really was a major hit in gay clubs, especially because of specifically the Club 69 remixes um, done by the late, great DJ Peter Rohoffer, who did some awesome remixes for not just Madonna, but other artists as well, like Cher and Britney Spears. So I kind of prefer that version to the album version just because it's a bit more oons oons and dynamic, more of a floor filler but it would have been out of place on this album. And um, yeah, this was a single and it got a pretty interesting video where Madonna is a geisha, another known image that wouldn't fly today, but it did happen. And um, yeah, fourth single for the US, fifth overall. Uh, it actually kind of flopped. It only made it to 93 on the Hot 100. Um, radio didn't play and there was actually a delay in printing the CD singles. And so... It didn't sell as one. Well. Sales have always been a strong point for Madonna, but I have a copy of it on CD and vinyl. I totally freaked out one day. I looked on the website of our local record store here, Soundgarden, and they had some Madonna record singles from the 90s, and one of them was nothing really matters. Like, I gotta get all of them, and I didn't. I'm, among my prize vinyl possessions are my Madonna records. I'm always happy to find a Madonna rarity. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, you know, that that for me is like this song. Uh, this is the vibe and the Madonna-ness, if you will, of the last track. But here it's for the, it's to the perfection that I equate with her. Um, this sound inside here of Madonna for me, inside of Nothing Really Matters, aside from this is a really beautiful moment that I think every parent, has when you have a child and a life that you're responsible for like nothing else really matters and and i think that's where she was going 
or where she was through here, but this Madonna-ness inside of this, man, there is an elegance about this song. I mean, of course, the strings add an elegance, but the sounds, even the electronic sounds that are selected for this composition here have an elegance to them, some stuff that screams almost cinematic um, level stuff. This, I mean, I just get this beautiful picture of like, long black gloves and a black dress silhouette madonna here like think like papa don't preach a material girl put together in one image it just really has this this elegance and madonna-ness i i, I jam with this song i love this song yeah it is a good one indeed so basically nothing really matters but the song does matter check it out <laughs> but <laughs> while we say nothing really matters there is something that would matter to us. And that would be if you subscribe this podcast wherever you're listening to us and rate us on your favorite platform, especially Apple Podcasts. We could really use some more ratings on there, especially because um some jerk gave us one star, which was just plain rude. So you know what? Help us rectify that because we are not a one-star podcast. Not to toot my own horn here or our own horn, but we are not one star. And we want you to hopefully help us change that because we know you're listening and hopefully you don't think we're a one-star podcast but enough about that you can also follow us on facebook and instagram at turntables and tea podcasts and on what's now called x not formerly twitter at turntables tea nothing else has changed just the name and the logo we'll have all our updates on our um upcoming episodes on there so just Stay tuned, and uh, with that being said, I'm ready to get back into the album, track number seven. Yeah, man. Yeah, and uh, as I said, the last song was a palate cleanser because we are really getting spiritual here, folks, with uh, Sky Fits Heaven. Um, I think the title says it there. Um, Like, this one, it's a... I mean, it's got a dance beat to, to it, though. Like, how many spiritual songs are going to fill the floor at the gay club? Not many, but this one'll do it. It's that kind of jam. Um but you know she's taking the gospel and I really like that and I've always I've just really loved the chorus. It's very simple but it's just very real. Like isn't everyone just traveling down their own road? Think I'll follow my heart. It's a very good place to start. And they seem like simple lyrics but they're elevated by our you know our dance beat and the person singing it in her lovely new vocals um yeah another one that i really enjoy and i think we gotta tip our hat to patrick leonard here who um again co-wrote this song i think that he kind of helped rein in the um spirituality of it because i think this definitely could have gone overboard with that you can tell by the title sky fits heaven this could have gone really haywire but i think that we gotta give him his props for helping bring it together because, uh, again, you, we can't undersell his collaborations. This is the man who co-wrote Like a Prayer and Express Yourself. So, gotta add him in there, too. Um, another one I really enjoy. Yeah, this is, this is a great composition. Um, of course, that driving techno composition that you're talking about that's gonna fill the dance floor. It is a really awesome, well-put-together song. I can't shake the fact that the melody of this song especially the melody of the refrain 
for me, could sit by itself without that beat and have been, in my opinion, a Madonna hit. I challenge anybody to just really take that melody out, hum it, and it is an earwig. It's it's a really neat look at how this album came together. For me, it's the true look. This seven track right here, Sky Fits Heaven, is a very true look into the album as a whole. Uh, it's it is this evolution of Madonna here. Uh, and and I, I really enjoy it. This is a very, very cool track to really understand what this album is to Madonna and to her music, period. Yeah, most definitely. But it's funny you say like this could have easily been a hit, even though it wasn't a single. It made it the 41 on the U.S. dance charts. Oh, I believe it. I'm just yeah. saying like the melody alone could oh, have, yeah. have been. It, it's, it's such a beautiful song. It really is. So. And uh, people really took to it. I mean, DJs remixed it enough for it to make it to that point. So a deserved fan favorite for sure. And um, we're going to keep that spirituality going big time with our next song, uh, Shanti Astanji. Um, This song was inspired by Sanskrit prayers that Madonna chanted before yoga. And as a result, yeah, this song is mostly in Sanskrit, which first off, what a bold choice for a pop album from anybody i mean whoa mind-blowing who would have thought it and like that's just a separate that's like a separate niche project somebody would do they don't that if they're going to make an album of chance they're not going to put it in the middle of their album but no she really did do that and um but somehow i think it works this has a good beat to it. I think it's compositionally sound. I don't know what she's saying, but I can tell as a part of this album that it is meaningful to her and her spirituality, even if it's not something that I quite, I literally don't understand. And uh, maybe not even something I practice. I don't do yoga. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely the most spiritual song here. And I don't like it as much. I wouldn't say, is this the song I go back to again and again on the album? No. It's a bit too off the wall for that, especially when we have a beautiful song like the ones, like the ones surrounding it. There's more than one of them. But I mean, she, I give her props for doing this. She wanted to take this idea like of her life, these uh, ideas she's now following as part of her evolving spirituality, which is a variety of things. She was really delving into a lot of different um, religious thoughts in a uh, deeper than the Catholicism that she was brought into. We're seeing like the Sanskrit and Kabbalah and all of that coming through here. And um, I think it's interesting. Definitely. It, it is interesting. It is a very, very honest and open work. It is something that I love that it was done when it could be done. I'll have to say, and usually I don't do the pessimistic tone on this, but I'll have to say, unfortunately, I think this would dabble along the lines of people getting pissed for cultural appropriation just because of the pureness of it. I mean, she's singing the whole song in Sanskrit, and I love that. I, I This is a really neat uh, composition I will not take any more away from it by even talking about um, the 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 shift in the paradigm of thought as a people. But it is such a beautiful thing. This is literally, from what I could find, 
her own mantra and she's singing it in in the sanskrit um and i know you said you didn't know what it said but i found a summation uh translated and it goes i worship the guru's lotus feet awakening the happiness of self revealed by beyond comparison working like the jungle physician to pacify loss of consciousness from the poison of existence in the form of a man up to the shoulders holding a conch discus and sword thousand-headed white i bow respectfully peace is that mantra um such a beautiful powerful thing i i go back to this very honest work that is the most honest work you i have goosebumps talking about it right now that's the most honest work that you could ever do as an artist sharing your mantra uh with with the world i in fact that's what we strive as artists to do throughout our whole entire lives is to share a mantra but your this actual mantra is such a beautiful honest work and that's why i like this one uh yeah musically composition it's neat but this is a very cool piece of art here yeah uh it's interesting you mentioned the cultural appropriation actually the aspect of this era that's gotten retrospectively or back then that's gotten the most flack is actually the geisha images in the video for nothing really matters yeah but i mean i don't think she means it in a malicious way i think she genuinely appreciates different cultures and uh yeah. But it's I think she got that even back when Vogue came out. She even got crap for cultural appropriation. Most definitely. This for me, after Sky Fits Heaven, um, is a really genius way to transition into the last third of the album. Yes. And, and it, it's perfect in, in that aspect. Yes. And interestingly, um, this song was the B-side for the next track, which was the album's lead single, Frozen. Um, Really? Yes. Wow. That's bold, man. A B-side on Sanskrit for Madonna. Very it, that's, bold. That's mind-blowing. She was not playing around in this oh, era. She wow. was out to show it differently, as if this new single didn't show that already. Um, This is a song... It's our last song here, co-written with our friend Patrick Leonard, sadly, but uh, they wrote this song, Frozen, and uh, it was inspired by a movie called The Sheltering Sky, which I've um, never seen. I'm curious to see it if it inspired this song, though. Um, and uh, she said she kind of wanted to create something lush and romantic, and we get that element, um, especially with the lovely string arrangements here from Craig Armstrong. But we also have all that electronica and these bleeps and bloops, and they really... This is quite a song, um, because really, this it's just kind of, it's dark and foreboding in a way we had not, anybody had heard from a Madonna song up to this point. I mean, the closest I think anybody would have gotten would have been Bedtime Story, which was written by Bjork, so that's its own entity. But no, this is a Madonna composition, and um, I mean, she's singing to this person, like, you're frozen when your heart's not open, but... If I could melt your heart, we'll never be apart. And these lyrics, I think these are lovely lyrics on their own, but they're just elevated by this soundscape that we're hearing in this song. Just all the bleeps and bloops. Just those little, like, da-na-na, 
just that little sound. Um, just so much going on in this song. Uh, it's a very yeah, it's a really interest. It's a very neat composition, but again, it still has the classic. It's still at its essence a classic Madonna ballad in its own way. And I think that's part of why it did so well. This was a, I mean, being the lead single, of course, there was natural anticipation, but it was a really big hit. It made it the number two in the U.S. and um and number one in the U.K. So, and uh, this song actually did really stand the test of time because in December of 2021, the Canadian producer Sickick remixed it and it went viral on TikTok. And... Uh, as a result, Madonna then released three more remixes of it. I really got sick of seeing her post her new Frozen remixes on social media. It's like, we get it. You're another remix. We we didn't need four of them, I don't think. But you know what? Um, if it got this song more attention, I'm happy for it. I think this is a beautiful and brilliant song. And then she used it after all those re remixes. She used it for the lead single for like a compilation right or something like that i thought i read that i thought that was so, pretty cool that she would do that yeah there was i mean there was a compilation released last year of her um 50 number one dance hits but none of those they're old remixes from like it's an original gotcha. one of the original um 1998 mixes of frozen is included um gotcha not one of the new ones but it did help promote that project and it was certainly better than some of the other remixes done after i'll definitely take this over um material wall with saucy santana any day so heard. i'll tell you right now you don't have to remix this song for me no, you don't I, I enjoy it very cinematic composition inspired by yes. cinema i always tend to love those the inspiration the Indian inspired drums, um, the the Middle Eastern inspired drums seem to really follow us into this track in, in a in a little Easter egg to the song before. And it's just really it for as full and powerful as a composition as it is, it really makes sure not to be too heavy and celebrate the vocals. And that's what I love about it. Like her vocals are really great. This is a beautiful ballad. This composition is so full and powerful, but she still is the the main focus. And that that attention to that fine line is where this song soars for me. Yeah, most definitely. And soar it does. And it's I love that you mentioned the cinematic quality of it because it gives me a chance to talk about the music video for this song because oh boy, what so I mentioned earlier, um when I was 10, I got the video DVD of 93 to 99 with all the videos from this album in addition to others. But this video, the first time I saw like I was 10, blown away, floored. Madonna in the Mojave Desert, long jet black hair, long dress. Just looking at her is stunning. But then there's all these additional effects. I mean, she turns into a flock of black birds, a black dog, liquid at one point. Um... Oh, I remember that one. Okay. Yeah, it's wild. It's a wild video. and But just, she is so striking to look at. I think regardless of your knowledge of her, whether it was new at the time or not, it's just such a unique thing. And again, against a beautiful thing. And they were freezing cold when they did it, but they suffered. She 
they suffered and made a beautiful, beautiful piece of art. This is one of my favorite music videos of all time. This is why Madonna's the queen of the video. It's because of pieces like this. Um, and that, I love the song on its own, but that, of course, did elevate it for me. Truly a beautiful synthesis. And um, I've seen Madonna in concert twice. And this is, uh, uh, between those two times, this is the only one from that album I've gotten to hear live. Mm. And, uh, but it was uh, Madame X tour. I went, it was the highlight of the show. It was a very beautiful moment. Um, There actually was a video of her daughter, Lourdes, doing a dance along to it while Madonna sang behind the video screen, but you could see through it. It was a, Definitely the highlight of the show. For me, it was so good. Honestly, I felt like, you know, that was worth the price of admission for me, even if there were some other songs I didn't like as much earlier in the show, if I'm being honest. Um, but I was like, you know what? At least I got to hear Frozen, and um, what a treat that is. But I'm also 100% sure she's going to do it on the Celebration Tour once it commences because of all those damn remixes. There's no way she's not doing frozen but uh, i'll be happy to hear it then too when i go <laughs> and go. of course i'm sure we'll hear the title track on the tour too it's a greatest hits tour so but uh yet yeah, that's the power of madonna just one performance i felt like i got my money's worth and i i paid <laughs> that's all i'm saying i paid <laughs> but um Interestingly, the next song, while I talk of Live Madonna, it's one that's never been performed on the tour, shockingly, because it was a single and a hit. Um, This is The Power of Goodbye. This is the first of three songs in a row co-written with Rick Knowles. Um, he had written a lot of hits for Belinda Carlisle up to this point, including Heaven is a Place on Earth, and also co-written. He also co-wrote quite a few songs with Stevie Nicks up to this point. Um. We even talked about some of them in our episode on uh, Stevie Nicks' Rock a Little. If you want to go listen to that once you're done with this, we would love that. Um, but uh, yeah, this is kind of admittedly, uh, after all we've gotten, it's kind of a standard breakup ballad. And at this point, she was no longer with the father of Lourdes, Carlos Leon. So it may very well be partially inspired by him. But um, yeah, this one, um. This is going to sound like a hot tea take and kind of harsh, but it really isn't. Ju it's just because of what it's coming after. I think this song is kind of um, frozen light. Like, just musically, it's not quite as dynamic. It doesn't hit as hard. But as I said, frozen's a really high mark to reach. I think in its own right, this is a very nice tune. And it does have some elements of electronica, but it's still, this is definitely, I think, um, just think on its own terms, this is the most radio-friendly song here, I think. And um, it's not surprising to me that it did well and was a single. It made it up to 11 in the U.S. and 6 in the U.K. And um, I think that, like, Madonna can knock out songs like this really whenever the hell she wants. But she does it really well. And to call it Frozen Light is nitpicking because that's a song that's a light version of Frozen, I think still qualifies as a lovely and beautiful song. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's beautiful. It is a beautiful song. I almost see it as a, 
and I'll t- I already played my hand, but <laughs> uh, I always I already see it as a middle piece to this and the next song. So for me, these three songs, and I actually found, I'll talk about it a little later after track 11, but I found some people that thought the same thing, which was crazy. But these these three pieces really have a, a unifying quality. And this is the middle piece for me. So I can see where you're going with the with the frozen light. It's definitely there. My favorite line on the album, or my favorite two lines on the album, freedom comes when you learn to let go. Creation comes when you learn to say no. I love that. Um, and this for me is perfect, a perfect tagline for this album because she is saying no to machine ditties and things like that. Um, she is letting go of what what seems to be this ego. She's she's learning to let go of ego inside of the spirituality. So the power of goodbye takes on a new meaning, at least with me, because she's almost because with me, she's saying goodbye to old Madonna, to previous Madonna. Um, and I, I like that. I like that about this song. Um, but I can I can feel that. And and it's there musically, composition wise, it tends to almost be that same thought process, thought process musically. Uh, it doesn't go too far away from Frozen. So I'm right there with you as far as them being almost like companion tracks. Yeah. But also, I, I can't believe I didn't say here her vocal here is really beautiful. We're really oh, yeah. getting the nuances of her new range in this song and actually this is how like strong her vocal is when i heard this song i thought to myself you know who i could imagine covering this of all people celine dion oh wow heard that heard that i mean that is if she ever performs again because of her health issues i certainly hope she does but uh celine if um madonna doesn't want to do this song live i think you should (laughs) I mean, what a shout out to Madonna as an evolving artist yeah. from from one of her biggest fans, you know, saying that you would, you know, you could hear C- Celine Dion doing this track is is a phenomenal accolade. That's yeah. that's flowers right there. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it and um and honestly, I'm just going to say it. Uh, unfortunately, there hasn't been an album with as strong of vocals since this one. I think some of that has to do with Poor production choices. In some cases, it wasn't what they were going for. But, I mean, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. Um, one of her new releases this year, she has a song out with The Weeknd called Popular. And um, I, I'm not the biggest fan of The Weeknd. I found a lot of his songs to be overrated and overplayed. But I really enjoyed this song. And I was really blown away by, I felt like, she sounds so good. Like, this is so well produced, her voice. I mean, it gave me those... Hearing or not, I was like, this gives me some ray of light vocal vibes. And I was so happy to hear that. And um, yeah, with that, just throwing it out there. I hope the weekend and Madonna work together again. He he said he would love the produce for her. And uh after hearing this song, I think he would actually I think he'd do a really good job. There you go. Uh, I'm glad you think that because of course you would like to produce for Madonna. It's Madonna, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. You, you know, <laughs> but I mean of course, uh, I don't know if I would be bad if she called William Orbit again, too. Why not? Heard. Though a lot of people didn't like it the last time they worked together, but that's a discussion for a different time. Uh, 
I can go on a lot of Madonna tangents if you can't tell, <laughs> listeners. Hey, that's that way. You love it. I, I do. Yeah. And, um, but again, yeah, we are kind of continuing. We're, this is kind of like the moody ballad section of the album. And we have our next one in this trilogy, which is to have and not to hold. And um, yeah, this one's pretty neat. It has elements of a uh, bossa nova Brazilian music, which, um, okay, pretty cool to get that in there, first of all. Um, Rick Knowles said they were specifically inspired by the singer Astrid Gilberto. Um, I, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm sorry if I'm butchering uh, the uh, Portuguese language, those names. I I might be messing up now. But anyway, back to the song. Um, but uh, this song, it's about just a love that's not equal. It's like you are to have and not to hold. You're there, but I can't have all of you. And um, what a real beautiful thought to put into a song. And I think it's done just really well here. I mean, it's just... It has this lovely meditative feel, and even just the bum ba dum bum bum bum. It's just so, and the chant of Abahu Purushakaram, another chant. It's just so. I mean, in some ways, these lyrics are really heartbreaking, but it's also a very calming song, and but it's also got this bossa nova to it. But all these disparate elements really work well together. I think this is another stunning song. Stunning is is a great word to use. Um, I, I was blown away that you said the bossa nova thing because I was trying to write the style musically, you know, like I do going through. And my first note, and I couldn't find it anywhere throughout looking this up, but it's I love this almost silent bossa nova beat here. That it's so understated. It's so beautiful. What a really really neat beat for for this awesome song um you know this is for me a completion or for this album a completion of madonna becoming this spiritually open being and, and a, you know and a, a new artist so to speak um and that meditation that that happiness that that we're that we're feeling inside of this song is is only aided by these indian uh, inspired tones that she hits throughout the vocal here. I really love it. Um, there were authors, uh, Alan Metz and Carol Benson wrote in the Madonna Companion that Frozen, uh, I'm sorry, Frozen, The Power of Goodbye and To Have and Not To Hold formed a dream trilogy uh, during which Madonna does a monologue with herself talking about divinity and I love that. And that's what I was talking about. I found there's somebody else who thought as crazy as I did, I guess. Um, but it really is. It's it's beautifully stated throughout these three songs, this wild monologue that she's having um, about this transformation. And it, it ends, this trio of songs ends with, with this beautiful composition here. Really well done. Yes, another beautiful song. And um, now we are... On to our penultimate song, our last uh, collaboration with Rick Knowles. This is Little Star, which was uh, a song dedicated to her daughter, Lourdes. Um, uh, Knowles even said that this song was kind of just very stream of consciousness. And uh, I can see that. Um, I mean, this is definitely a song that really, really could have gone wrong, I think. Um, uh, I mean, just, I mean, she's talking about her daughter being like, 
little star and butterfly God gave a present to me. This really could have gone in a really trite Hallmark card direction. But I is it the song I go back to on this album again and again? No. But I'm not going to skip it either because I do think that even if it might be a bit on the nose, I do think it's sincere. I can tell this is her new reason. Like, we've made it clear. Like, she's a mother now. She's enlightened. And th that's an important element of this. Um, this enlightenment. And we have to have a song, I feel like, dedicated to her daughter. And I think this is a really... Nice one. There's certainly worse songs that pop stars have written for their children than this one. But, I mean, it's not what... You can't hate on it. It's a song for her daughter. It's a lovely tune. Um, So, yeah, I can't... But I do think if musically, I think it's a nice little song. And I think having Orbit in there, like, helps it still kind of fit with the rest of the album. So I'm not mad at this one. I like Little Star. Yeah, I, Stream of Consciousness is there. Uh, I definitely feel that I feel like that sincerity mixed with stream of consciousness is why this song doesn't fail. Um, it definitely winds the album down, which is neat or starts to wind it down going in to the final track, but it has that freshness. And I think you hit it right on, on the head there. I think that freshness comes from orbit in this case, uh, really rounding out this composition. So it's not, not that it's a sappy mother's song, but so that it's it doesn't feel out of place on this album. And I think he did a great job there. This is the shout out to my kid song, but as as a new mother, almost like we. I'm not even trying to draw comparisons. I don't want to get in a fight over here. But oh, almost to Zion, the Zion, exactly, almost it, like a Zion. <laughs> no, it it doesn't. These albums were released in that the same year. There is a parallel there and uh, done in different styles but both beautiful songs yeah man so this is this is that and it, it doesn't take me away from the album which is something like you said could have easily happened with this song very easily but fortunately it didn't and it actually weirdly enough uh, leads us into our final song which is um a 180 in many ways but it does connect um our final song is mer girl um so this song, uh, obviously with Becoming a Mother, Madonna, it got Madonna thinking about her own mother. And for those who don't know, Madonna lost her mother, Madonna Sr., um, when she was only five years old. Her mother had breast cancer and died at the age of 30. And um, she discussed this song actually at a concert in 2016 called Tears of a Clown, where she performed deep cuts and dressed as a clown. Okay, go off, girl, do your thing. But um, she discussed the inspiration of this song, and it's actually quite literal. It's um, she was visiting her father's farm. He owns a a winery, so he has a farm. And um, she one time she went for a run, and it started raining, and uh, she just kept going, and ended up at her mother's grave. And she said, like, it looked like nobody had been there in a while. It was really grown over, but. She was there, and um, that and she just ran back and wrote this song. And uh, so in a lot of ways, it is literal. Um, this song really isn't. It's more of a poem than a song. It doesn't have a pop song structure. It's definitely long form. Like I ran and I ran and I ran. Like you could totally analyze this. The poetic devices here used in your English class totally could happen. Um, 
so when I talked about there were songs here I really didn't get for a long time, this is the one I was referring to. For the longest time, I thought, I don't like this song. It's very depressing. Like, it's very slow. And there's just... I mean, the backdrop's pretty sedate. Again, I think it's the more of it's more of a poem. It's not a song. And just such a dark note to end an album on. I just was like, no, it doesn't do it for me. I don't care for this song. But um, as you get older, life can happen. And I uh, previously mentioned on um our Subtract episode, I had a, a couple years ago, I had a friend who um passed away unexpectedly from a drug overdose. And uh, it was really a... um moment for me that really got me thinking about a lot of things and one day I listened to this song and I thought to myself you know I finally think I get this song because I see this song as Madonna looking for answers like I didn't run to a grave but it was such a confusing moment for me it was one of those things I'm just like why did this happen I have so many unanswered questions I don't get this and I think this song really illustrates that in a poignant way and so it's not going to be the song I run to on this album. It's not an easy listen. However, I do think it has a place, and I'm happy to say that I finally get the song now. And uh, it's an important piece of the puzzle here, because of course she was going to reflect on her mother um, with becoming a mother. So I do think it's important that we included a piece of that here. That's wild. I never knew the anecdote about her running to her mother's grave which is and, and just to hear how you took it as well it, it, they're just both mind-blowing things i for me was just looking into the lyrics and really trying to understand it as well and and going through this i thought she had or was saying this was a retrospective this a retrospective to her life this song for me is a very dreamlike song it is very, I call it a song on a very loose interpretation of a song. You know, this is a very dreamy, psychedelic outro. I say psychedelic in the sense of like a spiritual journey or like this deep place that you have to get to to come out to the other side. And that's what this ends up sounding like to me, where I had taken it as her still, she says, you know, I'm still running away. That's the last thing we hear before this album ends. And I, I had taken it almost as her seeing her previous life as a person uh, and, and running away from it. Uh, and she's still running away. Some wild thoughts, but a very artistic piece to end this album. I think it's very fitting to end this album with this rather than have this be some little piece in the middle of it because it gives such a almost like loop back into the start of the album um and it also gives us this really inspired enlightened spiritual adventure uh to go on with her one last time before we leave this i i, I like the way this last thing track whatever you want to call it is done it's it's really neat uh, yes, most definitely. Uh, quite a note to end an album on. Um, and uh, there we have it, Ray of Light, the album I walked into by picking uh, on our Lauren Hill episode. I walked into it and gave that take saying, I think this should have won the Grammy for the album of the year. And, uh, you know, there's an argument to be made for both, in all fairness. But um, 
I think I, I hope I should that I was not completely crazy for saying that. I think I don't think I was. This just hit differently for me. So um, with that being said, I'm very curious as to what your grade of the album is. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you definitely weren't off um, as far as it being a candidate, especially inside of that conversation. Um, I, I have already stated so far this evening that the first time I listened to this, I was like, oh, you got to be joking me. Like, what is this? Because I was expecting a Madonna almost cookie cutter mold that I had known and, and, and enjoyed throughout life. But getting down with this album and really seeing what it was about um, and, and going through it, it is full of musical genius. I don't even think I use genius this podcast yet, but mu it is full of musical genius. It is full of very, sometimes we say on the nose in a terrible light, but some very on the nose, spot on inspired uh, moments. From front to back, there really isn't a spot where it falters in its pacing and much more so in its storytelling. We didn't really touch on it as much as I had anticipated or, or planned, but this really tells the exact story of, of where Madonna is here without shoving it down your throat and can only be elevated by multiple listens in, in, my, in my opinion. This is a, a beautiful album, and for that, I give it an A. Oh, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I, I really, uh, even though I said that before, I really uh, wanted to, this is one of the albums actually I thought that my, like back of my head, I didn't share what I think we must discuss, but this was one always in the back of my head. We got to do a Ray of Light episode. I'm so glad that you um, think of it so highly because, uh, yeah. um, yeah, I just, it's one, it's one I've known for a long time, but it's one that, it stays with you. It doesn't go away for me because there's so many layers here. It's one that I can keep going back to. And I think everything you said really sums up what this album is. And I think it's something that a lot of people aspire to and whether they have or haven't is a different discussion, of course. But I think we still have this beautiful original. And again, there isn't really a faltering spot. There's no song here I can say, this song is a complete skip. This song sucks. And um, this might be the bias showing a bit, but I'm going to give this an A+. There you go. So Is that our, is that our first A-plus ever? No, no, we've done several. <laughs> Actually, now, with that being said, the um, for a while since we held off on A-pluses until this year when we gave them to um The Dance by Fleetwood Mac. That's right. I, I held off on them, so now I'm going to change a former grade. Uh, before I gave like a prayer an A, now I haven't going to change that to A plus as well. Uh, <laughs> a retrospective A plus, I love it. I it's love not it. the only one I do, but since the moment is here, I'm going to do it. It's um in my these are both in my uh, holy trinity, I guess you could say, of Madonna albums. Um, right the ones so. that are the most I, the, the best to me. And uh, the other one we'll probably get to eventually, but it won't be this week. Because as I said before, we're doing some comparisons. And uh, Madonna was not the only major pop star to release a personal work at this time. 
um, a deeply introspective look into herself and where she was. Uh, another person did as well, another major player, one Janet Jackson, with her album that came out just months before this, The Velvet Rope. And uh, her personal things she had to say were different than this. There's a bit more social commentary, and it comes from a more R&B hip-hop sound, of course, thanks to production from her old friends Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, but I think they are um, interesting companion albums in a way. Uh, I can't help but think of them both, and I think they both deserve to be celebrated, but we're still going to compare because we want to hear which one you think is better, and so we're going to be doing that album next week, and I'm very excited for it. Super excited. Were all three of them up for best album? No, The Velvet Rope was uh, not nominated I'll tell for you best what. album. And I, I didn't I didn't say if you were right or wrong, and I I won't, but I will say between this and miseducation, I would not and I've said this once before, but again in this case, I would not want to be a judge on, on that committee. You said the same thing for <laughs> Beyonce and, and, and Harry Swift. Or Harry, yeah, Beyonce yeah. and Harry. Yeah. Uh yeah, you same, don't same be... deal here. No, no, no. Yeah. That, that's no. way too close. Way yeah. too close. And it was a it was a stacked year. It was all um, I mean, it was actually all women nominees. They were we also had uh Shania's come on over, garbage's garbage 2.0, and Cheryl Crow's the Globe Sessions. Wow. So uh, interesting, yeah. Cool stuff, I think. Janet's got her work cut out for her, man. Uh, she does, but um, you know. Let let's see how she does it. That's all I gotta say. Um, she's she's a resilient Jackson. She's got this. <laughs> that she is, and uh, yeah, I think it's another classic album that there's a lot to dive into with it. Um, though once again, we're skipping all the silly spoken interludes. She just wanted to fill CD space, <laughs> as we saw before. But at either way, we're very excited to be doing it. Thank you for listening to this one. We are looking forward to being together again with you all next week. But until then, go deep and get some sleep. Peace!